don't you just love worshiping God? You know, whenever we're worshiping and then I hear a hymn from my past, I'm always reminded of a young boy being at camp and they would play the song, Just As I Am. Remember that song? It invoked something in me like tears shooting straight out and running to the altar. At eight years old, it gripped my heart. Man. You know, as long as we don't sing hymnal number 317 every week for 30 weeks, 30 years, I get it. But hymns are powerful. When you read the story behind like Amazing Grace and some of those, off the hook, unbelievably powerful. Well, hey, good morning. We have an exciting week this week. Man, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday, Dr. Francis Miles, I'm excited. He's an incredibly uh, revelatory teacher. And I have been trying to push revelation at you guys for quite some time. Following Dr. Francis, sometime in June, we have an opportunity to have another revelatory speaker come for just a Sunday because he's in the area uh, down in Reading. He's coming up out of Reading. But when it comes to revelatory teachers, it challenges us to think outside of our box, doesn't it? Now, I'm going to caution you because sometimes you'll hear something in the journey and you stop at that moment because you're offended by something they said and you quit listening to the rest of their story. Don't do it. It's like eating fish. Sometimes you have to spit the bones out, right? You're, you're mature enough to be able to figure this out as you go along. And if you have questions, come and ask. Talk to the elders. Talk to some of the teaching pastors here. And just, man, we'll help you navigate. Can we turn this down just a little bit, Jason? I don't want to sound like I'm yelling. Ooh, is that better? <clears throat> okay. Um, so anyhow, having said all that, I just want to encourage you guys to keep an open mind and an open heart as we move forward. And if there's something in there that grips your heart, just write a note. But don't get hung up on that point. Listen to the total sum of what they're saying. Amen? And then you get to kind of dig through it and decide what you want to put handles on and hang on to. Okay? I'm telling you, there's a lot of new things coming at us that we need to be open to. And, and now, again, hear me. If they're outside of the Word of God, I have a big check about that. But I'm telling you, there's stuff that's inside the word that you read, and we're finding that out in John. We're finding out there's little aspects and little nuances and things hidden behind things that we didn't typically see. That's a revelation. So if it's something new, you go, oh, I didn't see that before, so thus it cannot be true. That's baloney. God wants to take us to a deeper level all the time, right? Okay, enough said. We can go home now. No. <clears throat> we've been... We've been Traveling through the book of John, we've been talking about all the symbolism that John uses. And John, out of all of the miracles in the New Testament, John only chose seven. And we've been talking about the seven that John chose. John chose the seven for very certain reasons, uh, for very certain reasons. And he wanted to bring enlightenment to different things that were happening. John left us really quite a photo album as we're thumbing through the book of John. How many of you have old family photo albums? They're kind of fun sometimes, oh, old, <laughs> tentite, no, we go back and it's kind of fun to go through and see and remember, oh, I remember that day, I remember that time, 
Some of them you want to throw away, but that's just part of your history. So today we're going to go on to miracle number six. It's the healing of the man born blind in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. So if you would turn with me really quick, we're going to find out what John is saying here and what Jesus is doing. And I hope this segues us into something that I think God wants to do today. Starting chapter 9, verse 1. And I'm going to kind of just read through this. We'll navigate this together, okay? So let's just read. I'm reading out of the NIV. So here we go. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this kind of, this kind of judgmental attitude, Jesus really did oppose this judgmental attitude that assigned physical ailments with certain sins. So Jesus spoke up, and he said that neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. He just gave the reason why this man was born blind. It wasn't because of sin, but it happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So, just kind of stopping for a moment, to blame a certain disability on a specific sin committed by a, a, a specific person is certainly beyond any man's ability or any man's authority, right? So, only God knows why babies are born with disabilities. Only God knows why people are born this way or that way. Only God knows. And I want to tell you right now, before we go any farther, farther, Psalms 139 tells us that you and I were wonderfully and fearfully made. That God, when he was spinning the stars into the heavens, somewhere in that place, he was knitting us together before he even handed us to a, our mothers. God created every one of us in his image. You look in the mirror, that is God, you're created in God's image. When I look in the mirror and I see one arm, I still have to believe with all my heart that God created me in his image for a reason and a purpose. And it wasn't just to sit here and hang out and feel sorry for myself. God created me for his glory. And when you get your head and your heart around that, you begin to see. In Psalms 139, it says there's even a book that's been written about you. Did you know that? Read Psalms 139. Just on your own, read it. You're not a mistake. I don't care what has been spoken to you, spoken over you. You are not a mistake. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Settle that now in your heart. It'll save you a lot of grief and a lot of heartache in your journey. You know, the effects of Adam's original sin, guys, are everywhere. When Jesus returns with all of his power, all of his glory, and brings the, 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 the final phase of his kingdom being totally established here on earth. I'm telling you, sickness, disabilities, pain, and even sorrow are going to take a permanent holiday. Amen. Let's go on. <laughs> Verse 6, after saying this, oh, I'm sorry, let me go on. As long as it is day, Jesus says, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming and no one can work. 
Then Jesus finishes with verse 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So while Jesus is saying, while I'm in the world right now, I am the light of the world. He is bringing light into every area, every recess, every place darkness wants to hide. Boom, he's bringing his light. Now, verse six, this is where it gets really weird. After this, he spit on the ground and he made some mud with his saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. Gross. Jesus did some really weird things. By the way, in in the book of Mark, which is before this, Jesus also spit in someone's eyes. This is like, man, here at school, if you spit on someone, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. I don't appreciate being spit on, and I know you don't either. But Jesus comes up at a time, people were, were walking by this blind man, and you know they were spitting in disgust. And we'll, we'll explain that in a moment. But all of a sudden, Jesus spits. I don't even want to make the sound. <laughs> and he gets down in the mud, and he swirls this thing around. Man, again, John leaves us this incredible imagery or picture of the mixing of the spit and the clay. You can imagine Jesus kneeling down and doing this and the crowd standing around going, what is he going to do? Again, this is a beautiful picture of the mixing of the spit and the clay. It really is a picture of Christ who is fully God and yet he's fully man. The saliva comes out of his mouth. The saliva comes out of the mouth of Jesus. By the way, that's where the spoken word of God comes from, right out of his mouth. It contains the very DNA of God himself. It's God incarnate. It's God in the flesh in that moment, right in that DNA of the saliva. The clay, I think that's an easy one. I think that represents a picture of us, mankind. The word tells us many times that we're, we're, we are human vessels. We're like jars of clay. So there's no doubt in my mind that the blind man had heard people spit as they walked by. Really was a sign of disgust because in that day they believed that blindness was caused by a curse. That's why they automatically said, Rabbi, who sinned? That was their natural prejudice thinking, their bias. Who sinned? That's what they were taught. Who sinned? This man is... His mom, his dad, his great aunt Harold, I don't know. Who sinned, God? And Jesus said, neither. Deuteronomy 28, 28 says, The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. Under the Mosaic law, there were blessings for being obedient, and then there were curses for being disobedient. But this day, this day was not about any of that. Jesus was here to set this man free. And by the way, It's interesting to note that there were many people in the Old and New Testament that were healed by other people, laying hands on them, whatever, right? We read stories like that. But I can't find anywhere in the scripture or scriptures where anyone was healed of blindness except something that was done by Jesus. In other words, Jesus was the only one that could heal blindness. Isn't that interesting? Now we go, well, what about Ananias? Well, that was after Jesus had ascended and he had gone. He was up in heaven. And the Holy Spirit was there because the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, Ananias, go lay hands on Saul 
he will become Paul, and he will regain his sight again. Jesus actually blinded Paul. Isn't that interesting? Okay, let's go on. Just a little sidebar note. <clears throat> so after Jesus does the spit in the mud and wipes it in the guy's eyes, he says, go, verse 7, he told them, wash in the pool of Shalom. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, that emphasis on the word means sent, that's actually in the NIV, okay? The word shalom is a Hebrew word, and it means to be sent or to be commissioned. Now, it's interesting because the pool of shalom was this pool inside the walls of Jerusalem. It was the only source of fresh water they had, but it was filled from outside by a spring, and they had carved, a, they had carved this cavern through the ground, this tunnel, 2,000 feet, to pipe water into the walls of Jerusalem. So the water literally was sent, the healing, life-giving water, fresh water that the people needed was being sent from an outside source into Jerusalem. The Greek word for apostle or apostleship, I wrote, is the closest meaning we have to the word shalom. Interesting. So to wash in the pool of apostleship, or to wash in the pool of the sent one was to recognize that healing, the healing or a healing or the healing flows from the one who was sent from heaven. You, you guys getting this? So he jumps, goes down, washes his eyes off in the very water that was sent from the sent one, the healing waters. And all of a sudden, he can see. That is amazing to me. So the apostle of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ, correct? Who was sent from the Father. Let's go on, verse eight. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, 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 no. I think it only looks like him. Maybe it's his twin, I don't know. But he himself insisted, I am the man. I'm that guy. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and he put it in my eyes. <laughs> he told me to go to Shalom and wash. So I went and I washed and then I could see. They're probably thinking, man, and you're trying to sell me oceanfront property in Arizona. I, you imagine that? I, I can imagine what it would be like if God just instantly gave me, regenerated my arm and I had a brand new arm. And I, I bet there would be that reaction. No, it doesn't fit my paradigm. Therefore, it cannot be true. It's outside the boxes of my own opinions, my prejudices, it's outside of that. So therefore, it cannot be true. You're someone else. You ever had someone come up to you and, and they tap you on the shoulder, hey, and they realize you're not the person they thought they were? It'd be a moment like that. They're, they're like, uh. Where is this man? They ask him. I don't know, he said. So we, now we have the Pharisees who want to really investigate this healing. That's kind of the point of this story. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now on the day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes, was the Sabbath. Uh-oh. 
Jesus was always getting in trouble on the Sabbath, wasn't he? Because they didn't understand the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud in my eyes. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Jesus always operated outside of their paradigm, didn't he? Man. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man and said, what have you to say about this? It was your eyes he opened. Well, duh. I say the man's a prophet. They still do not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. There you go. Is this your son? Now, this was risky business for the parents, man. They didn't want to be associated with Jesus. They didn't want to be disbarred from the church. They didn't want to be thrown out. Is this your son, they ask? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he sees? Can you explain that to us, folks? Your son sees now. How did this happen? And they said, we know he is our son. <laughs> the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him because he's of age. Talk about passing the buck. I'd be so stoked and excited if my child was healed. I'd be doing the happy dance. But again, their eyes were blinded. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who had acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue, thrown out of the church, so to speak, excommunicated, gone. who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue again. This is why his parents said, he's of age, go ask him. Whew. I'm sure, I'm sure at least in the parents' hearts, there was this incredible amazement. There was this divine moment of bewilderment. You know, Mosaic law says this, this man comes along and violates that, but yet this is the fruit of, we, oh, this blows our minds, but we're so thankful that our son can see. And a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give the glory to God by telling the truth, they said. <laughs> These guys are so blind, it's incredible. We know this man is a sinner, he replied. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. What a great answer. Then they ask him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Oy. He answered, I've already told you, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Oh, this is brilliant. Do you want to become one of his disciples too? Oh, talk about a spanking. Now they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. You're a follower of this 
Jesus, we're followers of Moses. That is the right, true, and holy way. You are an heir. Man. Dude, the, the, dude, I'm sorry. I'm speaking to middle school students here for a moment. His eyes are open. He's healed. It's a miracle. No one had ever seen a blind man's eyes open like this to that magnitude in that moment. And they're still trying to figure a, a way to dodge around the bullet. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. So blind after years of studying the scriptures and all the, Isaiah, all, man, all the prophetic words pointing towards this moment in history, they still couldn't see it. The man answered, now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Man, this guy's got some moxie. I tell you, when your eyes get opened by Jesus, there is a boldness that comes on you that you cannot explain away. There's, there's this thing that comes on you, and you're just like going, this is truth. That's air. Amen. And you're bold as a lion. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening, the opening of the eyes of a blind man or a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Man, this blind beggar puts these religious experts to shame. Isn't that incredible? What a moment. To this they replied, you're steeped. You, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Listen to this. This is so important. He says, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you at this very moment. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. But something interesting happens in verse 39 that I think asks for a little hovering for just a moment. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who will see will become blind. What does John 39 mean? Jesus' comment here really can be confused with some other statements that Jesus makes because in John 3, 17, he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But wait a minute, Jesus is saying, for judgment I have come. And then in John 12, 47, he says, if anyone hears my words but, not, and, but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. In, in these two verses I just read, Jesus states that he did not come to condemn. Right? That's what it says. Yet in verse 39, Jesus states that he did come for judgment. So which is it, Jesus? Which, which is it? 
We need to understand the reason for Jesus' earthly ministry was to secure our salvation, right? And that required judgment on and against sin. However, the result of Jesus' earthly ministry is the eventual condemnation of those who would and will reject him. Revelation, read Revelation. Those that rejected him, they don't make it. So the reference here to those who see versus those who are blind, I believe is meant to explain this entire incident with the blind beggar and the religious critics. Does that make sense? So those who will admit their need and those who will put their trust in God are those who will be granted sight. Just as the blind man was given both sight and knowledge by Jesus in response to his sincere faith. It's as if Jesus takes that 2 Corinthians 4.4 scripture and he flips it. As I was studying this, I just thought, man, Jesus, you're like, you're like flipping the scripture here. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, the God of this age, lowercase g, Satan, uh, the God of this age or Satan of this age, we could say, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. Those who are arrogant and presume that they already know everything there is to know about God, huh, they're going to be blinded when the presence of Jesus shows up. This is what's so amazing to me is, and, and, and I, don't, I don't want to start drawing lines between different camps, but you know, you have the evangelical, you have the Pentecostal, you have the charismatic, and you've got all these different camps. And in my heart, my heart of hearts, I believe that we have a lot to glean if we could just listen to each other. We can learn a lot from each other. I believe that's part of that unity that Ephesians 4 talks about where we all come together in a, in, in a, in a unity and in a, in a level of maturity that brings forth the expression of Jesus here on this earth. But the problem is is some people are so caught up in their dogma their theology, whatever you want to call it, that when it comes to seeing miraculous things happen, they stop. God, God doesn't do that anymore. When the last apostle died, it all ended with that, so it can't happen anymore. Do you see what I'm saying happens? And then something like this comes along. Totally rocks the world, totally outside of the paradigm, a blind man healed, and they're going, ah! Doesn't check off all the boxes. Doesn't fit in our boxes. Therefore, it cannot be true. And they kick him out of the church. Man, keep an open mind, guys. Keep an open heart to what God is doing. If you truly are baptized in the Holy Spirit, he will lead you. He will teach you. He will guide you into some truth. No, all truth. He will show you if there's truth or error and where you need to turn left or right at. I promise you that and study and read the word and read the word and read the word and the Holy Spirit will guide you through these issues of your heart. So when God does something that's so outside of the box like raising of the dead, how many of you have actually seen someone physically with your own eyes raised from the dead? It's, it, it, it's one of those things that we don't, man, if we actually saw it, you gotta be honest, it'd be like seeing Sasquatch. This sudden paradigm shift. Whoop. That's not supposed to be. But it happens. My son and some others, quite a few years ago, we had a sister here in the church who 
graduated into eternity and, and brutal cancer journey. And my son and some others got permission to go to Hull and Hull. And, and they allowed them to go down behind the building downstairs and lay hands on the door where she was inside, praying to see the dead raised. I so applauded that. Did they see it happen? No, but it did something to their faith. They're willing to do it again and again and again. Whether they raise from the dead or not, that's God's department. But knowing that Jesus is who he is, <laughs> gives you the desire and the passion to want to step in there. So in spite of all of their knowledge, the Pharisees had allowed their own prejudices to blind them. Their own preconceived opinions that, that had formed a wall around them that covered their eyes and they could not see beyond the walls. I don't want to ever be a church like that. That were this really, this, the, the, this, this group of people that are surrounded by these walls and, and we just hold everything here. Man, we're called to take the light of Jesus out into the world. John 5, 39 and 40 says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures you testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and to have life. Guys, it, it, this is showing us that they are so blinded that they're incapable of understanding what they don't want to understand anyway. Isn't that crazy? Verse 40, some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and they asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Man. No wonder Jesus wasn't their best friend. And he spoke, he spoke truth. So when the man did, as Jesus instructed, what happened? He could see. And it's like that second Corinthian scripture gets flip, flipped. What does he see? He sees what the enemy had blinded him from. All of a sudden, he sees the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, standing right in front of him. And that was Jesus. You know, Jesus performed this miracle pretty early in chapter 9, but the balance of the narrative that we read clearly shows that the blind beggar had a lot more spiritual discernment than the Pharisees did. These learned officials of religion who had studied all their lives. I have met people, guys, that know the word through and through. I mean, they can do, oh my goodness, they can expound on the word. But in their talking and sharing, you suddenly realize they don't know the author. It's just another good set of books sitting on their shelves, 66 books, all in one little binder sitting on their shelves. And they know it through and through, cover to cover, backways, sideways, upside down, they know it, but they've never met the one who wrote it. Guys, when it comes to your eternity, it doesn't matter what you claim to know about Jesus. What matters is whether you know Jesus. So I wanna summarize this for a moment. And then I want to segue into something else quickly. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> John 9, 5 says, Jesus, when he first opened up, he said, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. 
Jesus said, and he's telling us that he is the true source of power. He is the true source of light that sustains life and overcomes the darkness of sin. Jesus overcomes confusion. Jesus overcomes depression. Jesus overcomes fill in the blanks. And Jesus overcomes spiritual blindness because he brings the light and illuminates all of those dark spots. The Pharisees were totally torqued, upset by the miracle of Jesus. First of all, first of all, because he healed a blind man on Saturday. As such, this violated the Sabbath commandment. You just keep the Sabbath day holy. But they could not and they did not understand what the Sabbath was really all about. They could not see, they could not believe that a sinner or a transgressor, oh my goodness, of the Sabbath had performed such an amazing work of God. They were upset by that. You violated the rule, so therefore everything else is negated. I don't care if you, you know, you're spitting quarters out of your mouth that are gold-plated. You violated this, that ain't going to happen. Sorry. It's null and void. You see, again, the prejudices, those preconceived opinions of the religious leaders blinded them to the understanding of God's purpose for the Sabbath. You know what God's purpose for the Sabbath was? It wasn't to sit down and just be quiet and eat Melba toast. Wow, Melba Toast, how'd that slip in there? <clears throat> the Sabbath isn't a day you just sit down and stare out the window and rock in your chair. It may seem like that, and some have made it that. But the whole point of the Sabbath was to do good and not evil. So Jesus is doing good on the Sabbath. He's not doing evil. And they could not see or believe Jesus' claim that he is the one that was sent from the Father to bring light and freedom to a lost humanity. Now, we could stop there and go, okay. But I want to segue into something a little bit along the same lines. Can you guys trust me for a moment? There are several records of Jesus healing blind people in the New Testament. There's two in the beginning of Matthew where Jesus comes up, restores the eyesight of these two blind guys, and then he tells them, now don't go and tell anybody. How did that work out? <laughs> Woohoo! I can see now. And they're out doing the happy dance, and they're telling everyone they know that I can see. Man, if I was healed of some crazy thing, That'd be the first thing I would do is go tell everybody I knew. The second one we read is in Mark 8, 22 through 26. This is interesting because, again, here we see Jesus spitting in someone's eyes. Disgusting. <laughs> and Jesus puts his hands on him. He says, do you see anything? This is interesting. And the man looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. In other words, Jesus spit in his eyes. He lays hands on his eyes, his head. However, it just says he lays hand on him. And, he, and all of a sudden, the guy sees, but he just sees partially. He sees blurred imagery in front of him. Once more, Jesus puts his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. That's a powerful story. But sandwiched in between these blind healing stories, man, we have this incredible story of blind Bartimaeus. 
Turn there, if you would, to Mark chapter 10. We're almost, we're almost over. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. <clears throat> I'm not going to read all the verses, but it says, Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man named Bartimaeus, which, <clears throat> which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him, be quiet. Shut up. Settle down. You're just a beggar. Settle down. Man, that fired him up even more. Because he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Again, in those days, to see a blind man, it was often associated with a curse. We talked about that. There really was no way to support themselves So financially, so beggars were given cloaks. Did you guys know that? The beggars were given cloaks by the government. That was kind of like when you were a beggar or they deemed that you could not work or support yourself financially, they would give you a cloak. It was kind of like it was kind of like their stamp of approval. You joined, you joined the beggar's guild. And you'd become a member, a card-carrying, cloak-carrying member of the guild. That was how you supported yourself. So when the, when the Levitical priests and, and, and the officials came by, they would see the beggar that had the official robe or cloak, I'm sorry. They would know that that man's legit, he's okay, let him be. This is such a fascinating story to me. So I believe that with incredible, with an incredible ability to hear. Years ago, we had an opportunity to wrestle. I, I was a wrestler in school, and um, we had an a, opportunity to wrestle with a blind school that came through. And it was fascinating because if you broke contact, you had to stop. But they knew exactly where you were at on the mat. They knew. And I was talking to one of the blind guys because he, I had to explain to him I only had one arm because he's like, where's the other arm? <laughs> I unscrewed it and set it aside. No. And, 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 and he, he was fascinated with that. And, and we began to talk and exchange. And he just said, you know, I lost my sight when I was pretty young. But he said, my ability to hear increased. My ability to sense what was around me elevated. And I think blind Bartimaeus was in that mode. Because there was a lot of conversations going on. There was a lot of talk about this Jesus of Nazareth and how Jesus was healing and performing these incredible miracles. And I believe that Bartimaeus believed what he heard. And when he heard who was coming to town, the blind beggar, he was ready. And when he heard Jesus coming, he picked up that conversation. He heard, and that's when he began to shout out, not once, but twice, Jesus Son of David, have mercy on me. People, again, tried to tell him to shut up and to be quiet. It always amazes me when someone's really needy or in that place of great need. There are those who tend to say, shut up. And somehow they want to disqualify us 
from going towards the very thing that can help us the most. I think blind Bartimaeus had this yearning in his heart for something even greater. There was something about this man called Jesus that was incredibly different. And I believe that Bartimaeus was so excited to have an opportunity to meet the healer face to face. And he would not be silenced. Verse 49 says, Jesus stopped and said, call him. He heard, he heard out of all the people in the crowd. Can you imagine the, the, the multitude of people saying, Jesus, hey, over here, Jesus, we need healing. Hey, Jesus, over here. He heard, he heard blind Bartimaeus, son of David, have mercy. He heard him above all the other noise and clamor. There was something about the cry of his heart that Jesus responded to. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Call him. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Look how their attitude changed. <laughs> You're in his favor now. Stand up, he's calling you. Now listen to this part. Throwing his cloak aside. Throwing his cloak aside. He didn't neatly fold it up and set it on the bench, set it on the ground, roll it up for later use. He didn't. He flung it aside. He jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. He said, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus said, go. Your faith has healed you immediately. Blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. Did he go and just leave? No, he followed Jesus. Bartimaeus, he threw off his cloak. He threw off the old way of life, everything that he'd ever known. You could say he threw away his comfort zone. That cloak was what kept him warm. That cloak was the one thing that provided for him financially. That cloak was the one thing. And he threw it away, all for a chance to follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He was done being defined as a beggar. How many of us are ready to throw away our cloak because we're tired of being defined by something? I get tired of the labels. People come into my office or they call me. They do, man, they're like, they like a trunk that's traveled the world. They got labels all over them. And God just wants to peel these things off. And they're so tired of, of, of being defined by the label that's been placed on them by the world. What defines you? He didn't just toss aside a jacket or a sweater. This was life or death. He was either going to be all in, he was going to get totally healed, or he would walk away with nothing. He was that desperate, and he was that hungry. That's why he cried out with a hunger that Jesus heard. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He was so desperate for change, so desperate to escape the, the, the being defined as a beggar and all the other baggage that came with it that he went to Jesus expecting a miracle. Next, when Jesus asked him, what do you want to do for me, or me to do for you? Bartimaeus told Jesus, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. You know, you can't help but get the feeling here, and I'm almost done, that Bartimaeus was asking for something bigger than just his eyesight, just a physical healing. He was asking for something so much bigger because I feel in my heart, because of his keen awareness of what was going on around him, although he couldn't see physically, in his spirit, he knew he was standing before 
unspeakable greatness. Do you hear that? He was standing. How many of you have ever shut your eyes and you just felt the presence of God? Like if you open your eyes, you go. It's an incredible encounter. It's an incredible moment. But I think that in that moment where he wanted to stand before unspeakable greatness and he knew he was, he knew he was standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the master of the universe. And you know what? He wanted to see him face to face. We know that Bartimaeus was instantly healed and Jesus said, now go. The Great Commission, but Bartimaeus, he didn't just go dancing off in the halls. He actually went up and began to follow Jesus. I want to finish out with a couple thoughts. All of us have a cloak that I think represents something that in our lives that's hindering us from really living the life that we know that God is calling us to. How many can say yes to that? You know there's something in your life that's holding you back or it's hindering you from living that great life that God has called you to. The cloak that we're wearing can hold us back. Why? Because it's become really comfortable. If we fail to see that this cloak that we wear actually impedes our progress, we'll never move forward. I just want to ask God to open your eyes to see, for him to show you his face. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us throw off everything that hinders us. Prophetic moment. We are moving into a season very rapidly where I believe with all my heart we're going to encounter some rough waters none of us have ever seen before. Now, COVID, we thought that was the deal. I think this is going to be a lot of the fallout from everything in our world, the economy and everything just stopped and turned left and right and people fell off the boat. It's coming, but I'm telling you this. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you're going to weather this storm. Some of you are in this place where I believe that, first of all, I believe that we all want to see and we all want to receive the best that God has to offer. But I believe that some of us are like that blind man in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus spits in his eyes, but he lays hands on him twice because the first time he only saw shadowy things. And I think a lot of us are in that place right now where we're not seeing as clear as we want to. It's time for us to throw off that cloak, that thing that we're feeling so comfortable with, throw that thing away and trust Jesus. And when you do, he will touch your eyes the second time and you're gonna see with incredible clarity the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords standing in front of you. Guys, it's time for us to throw off our cloaks. It's time for us to jump up and to run to Jesus like Bartimaeus did. It's time. It's time for us to to answer the question when he asks you, what do you want me to do for you? Ask him. He will tell you. Go. Run with it. Guys, it's time to follow Jesus with all of your heart. Let's make him famous. Let's stand. We're going to listen to a Don Potter song. I love this song. Yes. Show me your face. And here's what I want to do, guys. If you want God... Jesus to touch your eyes again so you can see with incredible clarity. 
I want you to come forward because there are incredible people up here that will pray for you, lay hands on you, and help you with that journey. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of this has to do with repentance. There are things in your life you're doing that you know you're not supposed to be doing because God's saying, man, that grieves me when you do that. It can be addictions. It can be a plethora of things. It's time to throw it off. It's time to let it go and let Jesus heal you. Crank that thing up and... Moses stood on a mountain yes. waiting for you to pass by you put your hand over his face so in your presence he wouldn't die 